Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Altoona. And we've had a rocky start to the Green and Gold Forever season, and uh, the Packers kind of had a strange start too, so it fits hand in hand. So we'll have a lot to talk about. Hopefully this records uh, what I'll say right now. Obviously you won't hear that if it doesn't record, but that's just me expressing my general angst as we begin today. But we're going to attempt to talk about two games and Skype's been a little funny, and our recording software's been funny. Matt's computer's not working very well. So uh, let's see how this thing goes. And uh, I guess, thank goodness it's preseason, so if it's a catastrophic failure, who really cares? That's kind of what preseason's all about, right, Matt? That's right. <laughs> all right, so we have two games to talk about. Um, we should have had three games to talk about. So the Packers were originally slated to play the Hall of Fame game two weeks ago today on August 7th. And they were not able to, and uh, it was due to some paint that they had used on the field that my understanding was it had heated up and got sticky or something like that, and so the coaches um, of both teams decided not to play, so the Packers and Colts never did play, and I think the fans got refunded plus some. They announced it later this uh, week, but that's one of the more bizarre situations I ever remember. Um, I remember Brian Billick refusing to play at Veterans Stadium in, I think, 2001, but that's the only other instance of something like that I can remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was definitely bizarre. And They kind of just came out with it like an hour before the game, and we were all excited to watch our first football game, and then for something so strange like that to happen was really a downer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was not that excited to watch that game until they said that we couldn't, and no. it wasn't happening, and then I was pissed. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess I was pretty psyched. I mean, it's the first game of the year, and it, just for the Packers to be in it, it and with all the, the Hall of Fame hype and stuff with Favre and Dungy and stuff, it was I was looking forward to it. So, I mean, we've got our football fixed now. I'm feeling better. Yeah, me too. But I, I certainly was going to watch it and wanted to, but I, I feel like I didn't really realize how excited I was for it until they told me that I couldn't watch it, <laughs> and that changed everything. Yeah. So one of the things that they attempted to do is they had some of the fans come down on the field and talk, and I believe they had some of the Hall of Fame players, including Brett Favre, come out there and intermingle with the would-be audience of uh, the game that got canceled. Um, Before we dive into the Packers preseason, were you able to watch Brett Favre's Hall of Fame speech? I I haven't seen the whole thing yet because I recorded it and the uh, second half of it got cut off. So I did see the the majority of the first half of it, but I didn't get to see all the, the emotions and tears and stuff mm-hmm. I heard about later on. I attempted to record it. We were at a wedding, and it didn't record at all. It didn't even show up on my, hey, we recorded this and then deleted it because it was too big. So well, technology has not been my friend in the month of August, apparently. Yeah. But I thought Favre did a really nice job. I thought the speech was much more compelling than the one he gave at the Packers Hall of Fame. And, um, you know, it's I'm sure he took more care at this one, but it, after seeing it, it kind of felt like he maybe phoned in the Packer Hall of Fame one a little bit. Um, the strange thing that came out of it for me is all the other stuff that had happened that week, and they had a really good QB camp with John Gruden and Brett Favre that was really entertaining. Uh, I think that that's on YouTube somewhere, so you can watch that as well. But hearing that the Hall of Fame locker that they have for each player for Brett Favre was going to have a full Packers uniform for when he broke the touchdown pass record and a full Vikings uniform for when he broke the consecutive games record. 
and then hearing Brett Favre say on some outlet that his favorite play of his career is the touchdown to Greg Lewis to beat the San Francisco 49ers in the Metrodome. It, it really just crystallized to me. I still like Brett Favre, but this angst that 2009 was is never going to go away. And I'm going to have to come to grips with the fact that it means a lot to Brett. And those that one year in Minnesota might mean as much to him as the 10 previous in Green Bay. And that's always going to stick in my craw a little bit. But uh, I don't know. It kind of I felt like we lost him when I was watching that. Like he's going to be remembered as a Packer, but us Packer fans are going to remember that Viking period. I mean, what are you going to remember that Viking period? That one, two games against the Vikings, or the entire four playoff appearances of Sherman's career, or anything like that? It it just feels like uh, I don't know. It, it's weird, but it just I thought this would go away after the Hall of Fame, and no, it's cemented forever. It's never going away. Brett Favre, a Viking. Yeah, I mean, that's a monstrous part of his legacy, and unfortunately, that part of his career didn't go like the Jets one, which everybody's going to forget. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, he could have went to Minnesota and been bad, and we would have been whatever, but that one season, I can completely understand why that meant so much to him. I mean, you basically get kicked out of town, and to a large part, his own fault, but you're able to come back and do that, and do a, you know an MVP-type season, and uh, to make some of those big plays and to get all the way to the NFC Championship game, I can definitely understand why that, uh, you know, when, when you're at that age, at that point, that late in your career to be able to do that, I can definitely get why it's so special. But, yeah, that's always on the forefront of my mind when I kind of think about his career now, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why wouldn't it be special to him? He felt he was wronged by the Packers, and he really stuck it to him. And luckily for him, nobody ever asked about the following season when the Packers made him pay for it tenfold. But right. for me, it's... Brett Favre is the most interesting player that has ever been on a team I cared about, I think, by far. Just so many weird things happened in his career, and he really brought up the franchise, and I don't remember there ever being a more popular player for the Packers, but I don't know. To to him, maybe that's how he feels that it's cementing his legacy as an individual, that he has his own legacy that's separate from any team, and I understand that. For me, it's a constant, never-ending reminder of the worst season I've ever experienced as a fan. That season was no fun. I will never think back upon it fondly. And the fact that the NFL is okay with cementing it, which they should be, but I'm okay as a Packer fan thinking less of Favre's career because of it. Or enjoying it less. I agree. Yeah, at least that season, maybe I don't look back on it as negatively as you because of the the way it ended. I'm still... That, I mean, that Saints game was one of the, the more fun I had watching the end of a game, too. So I, I guess it did kind of still come down in our favor and um, and not in the Vikings. So I guess I, I'm whatever. <laughs> I'm fine with it, I guess, at this point. Yeah, I, I still I, – I think the story is good, and it made 2010 that much better, but it, it diminishes how I view Favre because I just can't shake it from oh, yeah. my mind, I guess. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let's move on to the Green Bay Packers, where they've since played two games um, since we last talked to you. They first defeated the Cleveland Browns 17-11. to Then they defeated the Oakland Raiders 20-12. to So your pattern recognition su- should suggest that they will defeat the San Francisco 49ers 23-12, to or 13, since yeah. we keep going in that uh, direction. But that Cleveland game, both Matt and I were talking before we started recording, is starting to fade from memory completely. Um, I'll remember that that was the first game I recall seeing that had three safeties, which was really weird. Yeah. Strange game, yeah. And the Browns unis are still gross looking. 
yeah, it, RG3 does look kind of cool in them. I'll give them that in, like, Terrell Pryor. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, those big, slobby white linemen in those jerseys, they look so bad. Um, but, yeah, this game was just weird, and the quarterback play was so bad. And I guess you'd expect that from your first game, and especially when the Packers are playing two undrafted rookies. But it, yeah. it was kind of hard to watch. Yeah, Joe Callahan got his probably only start that he'll ever have. Um, he was 16 of 23 for 124 yards, which is five yards an attempt, and that's not that good. And then um, Marquise, is it Marquise or Marquise Williams? I think it's Marquise. <laughs> I could be wrong. I can't remember now. Like I've heard the announcer say it enough times, but now you have me second guessing it. But either way, I don't think he's going to be on the roster, anyways. Yeah. So uh, M. Dot Williams, according to my Yahoo app, uh, was. 6 of 14 for 55 yards, which is 3 yards an attempt. But he did have an 18-yard run. So most of the people that played in that game are not going to factor very much into the Packers' season. And they did some nice things. They got a, a few nice pressures and some sacks from some of their new rookies. But I think to tie this into what we'll eventually say about the Raiders game, I have many times on this podcast... Um, not criticized, but wondered if the Packers were a little too cautious with preseason injuries and that if something with McCarthy and Rodgers or whatever are are spooked about the preseason and they don't want to play. Um, If that's the case, then they are not alone across the NFL. We always have defended the preseason through the history of this podcast. This has been the worst preseason in history. There's no stars playing hardly at all. There's a lot of Aaron Rodgers hasn't even put a uniform on yet. Um, Teddy Bridgewater, I think, has sat out a couple games. A lot of other stars aren't playing at all. And I don't know what it is around the league, but you know, it's not. I don't expect them to go back to like the '90s when guys were playing three quarters. But even in McCarthy's first year, I remember Brett Favre appearing in the third quarter of the second preseason game, and it's fine, I understand you want to prevent injuries, but I'm closer than I've ever been to saying, get rid of the preseason or do something, because these games suck. Yeah, I I guess I still enjoy watching them, because it's kind of like a warm-up to good football. It's at least something, some kind of football, and I, I think they do definitely serve a purpose, too, but I agree, it... I don't know if the Jordy Nelson injury reverberated a lot around the league because I can definitely see a team like the Packers taking this precaution, mm-hmm. but it, it does seem like everybody more than they ever have before uh, is doing the same thing, and it just seems like it's always the teams that don't have these major injuries that are contending at the end, and I think everybody realizes that now, so maybe you come out week one and week two rusty, but that doesn't really matter in the long haul. It's, you know, do you have all of your guys at full strength? And I, I guess if, you know if that means sitting them out for almost the entire preseason, then it's worth it because they can they can come on and turn it on and play, mm-hmm. you know, week one and week two. I don't think they, a lot of those guys don't really need these four games. And, and I agree, and I, I think they do once they're on. Like I enjoyed watching that Raider game the other night. I thought it was fun to watch Callahan and how great he seems to be at sensing pressure and escaping it and. You know, some of these young guys getting their feet under them was, it's always fun to watch that just as a football fan. But I'm finding it harder than it used to be for me to watch the non Packer preseason games. I, I love learning about our fourth and fifth stringers. I do not care to watch a bunch of Buffalo Bills that aren't even going to be in the NFL in three weeks. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess I'm that, uh, that 
stereotypical NFL fan that no matter what you throw in front of me, I'm just going to gobble it up. So I, <laughs> I was just sitting down watching the replay of that game yesterday at like noon. So I, I, I'll take all of it, I guess. Well, I'm, I'm glad somebody's enjoying it, and <laughs> I'm sure I'll have them on. Um, I, I always have something like that on, but maybe too, it's, it's hurt my interest because I've been watching more of the Olympics um, this year for some reason. I don't know. Something caught my eye about it this time around. Sure. I, I think for me, a, a big part of it, especially in like these first couple of games, is you get to see a lot of the guys that you saw in college, and you're like, oh man, that guy was you know here, where, or where's that guy from? And getting to watch them in NFL uniforms is always kind of cool. And, and you know, the, it's just a lot of running game and stuff, but it's still football, and I, I guess I, that's part of the thing that I like so much about it. Yeah, and there there still is that, and it, it's fun to finally get back into football mode, and it's fun to get out the grill and work on all that stuff, you know, and 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 have some people over and watch some games but um yeah i wish i wish it was a little bit more like it used to be so that you get a little bit more of the starters because you you don't even get a sense of what these teams are going to be right well one team that did attempt to do that i guess uh going back to the packer games is that the raiders they played their starters a little bit longer the packers played almost none of their starters and in comparison they looked Pretty good against the Raiders starters. I don't know if that's good for us or bad for Oakland. Maybe both, but uh, that was certainly interesting. Yeah, I was shocked to see Khalil Mack and Derek Carr out there as long as they were in Amari Cooper. They were still throwing it to him in, like, I feel like, the start of the second half. Uh, maybe it was just through the second quarter, but that was shocking, and I think that was definitely a good sign for the Packers. It, it's hard to take too much away from something like this, but to play against somebody's starters and to kind of show that depth, I thought that was a big plus. Yeah, and Eddie Lacy looked pretty good on that first drive. Uh, they gave him kind of a workhorse drive, and then James Starks had a couple of big runs. The worst thing I saw was that Jason Spriggs got abused by Khalil Mack yeah. uh, about three or four times, and including the play that led to Brett Hundley re-injuring his ankle. And, you know, those things are going to happen. They even showed Spriggs on the sidelines really hanging his head. Uh, I was going to say hat and head, and so then I just said had, which is not what he was hanging. But I think it was, yeah, David Bakhtiari came up to him, and you could kind of read his lips, and it was something to the degree of, hey, man, let it go. That's Khalil Mack. That's going to happen. And so he'll he'll learn from that, but, uh, you know, you always kind of wish you drafted Anthony Munoz, and he'll be a Hall of Famer from day one, but that's not usually how it works. Yeah, and I been reading that you know he's just owning the one-on-one like pass protection drills and camp and things and I guess regardless of how good you could be or how good you look in in training camp if you come out and really your first major playing time and have to go against Khalil Mack that's going to happen mm-hmm. I mean this guy could very well be a Hall of Famer someday and this could still have happened I, that's kind of an impossible task to ask of somebody in their first real action in the NFL I mean getting acclimated to the speed and everything and then to go against a guy like that that was almost unwinnable are you telling me you're not impressed when guys are stonewalling Datone Jones in one-on-one drills? <laughs> I, I, that's a good thing, I guess. But I, I mean, I, I just I don't expect that. I, I, I feel bad for him, kind of, that he's getting ripped on. He did get destroyed. Yeah. But it's I think that that's unfair, really, for him at this point in just that one game. I'd like to see him out there more because I think overall the offensive line played really, really well. Yeah. And you know he got picked on a little bit. Yeah, I think it. I, I think you're right. It, it's too early to react, and you're you're trying to learn some things, and uh, so I'm I'm completely expecting that he'll continue to get better. Um, you know, it, it wasn't Tony Mandrich against Reggie White in 1990, which if I still was posting videos containing that kind of stuff, I I would be tempted to post that one because it 
It looks like how I imagined when I was in a football summer camp that was for 5th through 8th graders as a kid, and the older kids got to pick their positions first. So they all picked quarterback, wide receiver, running back, and all of us 5th graders had to play offensive line while the 8th graders are pass rushing us. And so I, I assume that's, that's what it looked like. Um, so Tony Mandrich versus Reggie White looked very similar to 5th uh, grade me trying to block 8th graders. Yeah. Or me now probably trying to block 8th graders would look about the same thing. <laughs> all right, um, so we don't have to go super in-depth into all of these games. Um, I think by now people who are listening to the podcast have probably completely forgotten about them. But they dominated the time of possession in both games, and it really looked like um, partially could be because they didn't have any decent quarterback play, but they uh, really seemed committed to getting their running game on track with the offensive line, and uh, so far so good. Yeah, there were some gaping holes that we haven't seen out of this team in a while, and I think obviously, I mean, not to rehash last season, but one of the major factors was a banged-up offensive line. So, I mean, to come against a front seven that's pretty good and that played their starters for a while, to just destroy them up front, uh, I mean, all the running backs looked incredible because they had these just monstrous holes to run through, and, mm-hmm. and Lacey and Crock and Starks benefited from that. So I think that was a really good sign for the, this season to come. Yeah, it, I, I think Crockett has a pretty good chance of actually making the team. Yeah, I think he will. So the thing that has been disappointing for me about the preseason with the injury to Brett Hundley is that there is a very intense wide receiver competition right now in camp, and you really haven't had a chance to assess it in the games because there hasn't been good enough quarterback play to allow those guys to really show what they can do. Um, I don't remember when it happened, but sometime in the last couple of weeks, um, I, I would assume it was between the two games that Jeff Janis fractured his hand, and he's going to be out four to six weeks. And all you hear about him is he can't seem to learn routes and that all of his college career, all they did was he hardly had to pay attention to the plays. He was just running deep all the time. And um, it sucks because of how good he was in that playoff game. But right now I would have to guess that Jeff Janis – his best bet to make this team is going to be on IR. Yeah, I would agree. It, it, you've got your your top side of that locked in, and it seems like they really like Aberdares, and he's been punt returning, and he's he's looked pretty good in the first couple of games. But then they really, you know, you have a guy like Geronimo Allen, mm-hmm. um, who he only had one catch against the Raiders for 18 yards, and again, they aren't really throwing it much, but you've heard all through camp about how good this guy looks. Mm-hmm. So, but, I mean, you can't have seven receivers on your, your 52-man roster mm-hmm. suiting up every game. So I, I think right now he looks like the odd man out but could stick around, you know, because of IR, and I think maybe that's what they'll try to do, but who knows. But mm-hmm. I, I think just based on what you hear out of camp, I think he'd be the odd man out right now. It's strange how he even got to the NFL in the first place if he's that poor at running routes. Like, is he that well, good I mean, of an athlete? The- I, I, I guess so. I mean, look at the f- physical talent. He can go up one-on-one and catch catch a Hail Mary against Patrick Peterson. Yeah. I, I mean, he's fast. He can return kicks. But I guess maybe they thought they could coach him into this. But it's been a while now, and for him to still be having these struggles, it's a little alarming, I think. Yeah, and I, I, I hope somehow he can stick around because I don't think he would clear waivers at this point. He, he's got too high of a Q no. rating after that playoff game. But I don't know. Part of me worries that if he's not on the field, and now Ty Montgomery's back and he seems to be playing pretty well and um, 
played in both preseason games, which was a shock to me. I didn't expect that to happen, so that's certainly a really good sign. But I really like Abradaris, and him and Rodgers have a great connection or whatever, and they seem to be always on the same page. But, you know, that still makes me nervous seeing last year as they need some speed out there, or I have a feeling that on our first third down we're going to see Aaron take his his drop and then start rushing around again looking for making some sandlot plays because, you know, the jury's still out on them. That offense was the worst it has been in Green Bay since Mike Tomzak was the leading passer. And so they really I, – I just hope that they don't go in and say, well, you know, we were committed to winning our one-on-one, so now we can go with basically the same personnel and be fine. Um Granted, they'll have Jordy Nelson, but uh, he hasn't played yet. Hopefully, he'll get a chance to play in San Francisco. Yeah, I, I think they've got the bodies out there now to, to be able to have some speed on the outside. But, you know, they all got hurt or didn't play well last year. So, it you know, it's the same team, basically. You get Jordy back, so that's got to make all the difference. Yeah, what do you think of Adams? Um, we didn't talk or anything about family night or anything like that, and he... I always just hear about how great of a practicer he is, and then even in family night, he's like dropping passes and stuff. Like I, I wonder where this guy would be at if he wasn't a second round pick. If if you swap him in Abradaris, where is Devonte Adams? Right. I was just thinking about that with Janice too, because I, you know, you could definitely see this guy not make a roster, but I just feel like you know, with his athleticism and and his, you know, just what they feel he can do, they're going to keep him around. But I think just based on production, I think he would definitely be the odd man out at this point. He did have a nice catch against the Raiders, though, so that was nice to see. And we obviously want this guy to do very well and live up to the the expectation. But it's well documented from our podcast last year that we're not huge fans at this point. How could you be? What is there to be a fan of at this point? Two really good games in 2014? Um, I was looking up last. Yeah, Yeah, go ahead. What was just, that? It's been frustrating. I, he's one of the one of the, like the worst receivers I can I can remember <laughs> in a Packer uniform. I'm like not just I mean we've had some non-producers out there, but nobody making you know blatantly bad plays and getting targeted that much and not catching the ball. I can't remember anybody that was this bad last year. Is he more frustrating than Robert Ferguson? I I think so because. Uh, you didn't expect quite as much at first. I mean, he was a was he a second round pick too? He was, yeah. He was higher, wasn't he? Um, yeah. Oh, as far as the number overall, yeah. I guess I wouldn't. I, I don't remember. Um, I'll look it I up. I think he was a pretty high pick, but I, he definitely I, was a second I rounder. I don't think that it was nearly as bad as Adams was last year. Well, and the thing with Ferguson too, maybe that was a little less frustrating. So he was forty first overall. Wow, and uh, Devontae Adams was 53rd. So Adams has had a 446-yard season and then a 483-yard season. He had 50 catches last year on 94 targets. So I looked that up last week, and I can't remember what I used as the parameters, but I think it was for 40 targets or more last year, or no, 70 targets or more last year. He had the worst target-to-catch ratio um, in the NFL other than Darren Sproles which probably got a ton of really bad rocket check-down balls thrown way over his head. Um, Robert Ferguson's best season was 2003 when he had 38 catches for 520 yards and four touchdowns. Um, but he wasn't... Oh, my gosh. He was the same size as Devontae Adams? That doesn't seem right. That's a, oh, Yeah, I, I <laughs> guess I remember him being shorter. <laughs> yeah, but but anyways, if you're getting compared to him instead of other second-round picks like Greg Jennings and Randall Cobb, then you're doing something wrong. Right. 
Um, so I don't know what they're going to do with him, obviously. I mean, they're going to give him a chance, I would think. But, ugh. Um, well, I guess, what, what do they have to do right now other than just see what happens with him? Yeah, exactly. So one of the things we can talk about is the defense. We have... Um, uh, we had Demarius Randall get an interception against the Raiders, first-teamers, and you had some flashes from some of these newer guys and from Nick Perry and Dayton Jones. I think they had a few pressures and whatnot. Um, I'm wondering if I, – I tend to watch those guys more because, you know, you're always watching the pass rush. It's easy, but, you know, this is a position of tremendous depth or depending on what happens when Clay Matthews and uh, Julius Peppers talk to the league, it could be a position where for the first month of the season it's very shorthanded. Yeah, I, I can't see any scenario where that happens. I mean, these that's the reason why they didn't want to meet is these seem so unfounded. Like, there's no reason that Al Jazeera came out with these allegations against these guys there seems to be nothing behind it and that the first few have all been found phony yeah so I, I don't think just by interviewing they're gonna be suspended i think we'll be all right but yeah i, I agree I, you could be missing those guys for the first few games and you'd be in big trouble but i don't think that's going to be the case mm-hmm. and uh I, but they, i mean they've obviously shown the first two games that they've got great depth there so you can maybe survive it if that were to happen mm-hmm. but I, I think the secondary especially is is shown to be super deep and i i mm-hmm. really like there and some of these guys, I don't even know their names, but they're making big plays out there. And, and, and Hyde and Randall making these big interceptions. I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what they can do this year back there. I think they'll be really good. Yeah, that one guy had a pick and a really nice return. I don't remember. I think he was uh, 28 against Connor Cook. He had a really nice interception and run back. So, yeah, just to talk about that Clay Matthews and Pepper stuff. I think you're right, but it just... I just don't understand what the NFL is up to. And I originally read the Wells report on Tom Brady, and I thought it was compelling. And then I read Mark uh, Mike Florio's criticisms of the Wells report, and after a while I found those to be compelling too. And I think the NFL was a little sloppy, and they were trying to find that Brady did it rather than to just gather evidence independently. But I don't understand what they think they're accomplishing. Like, do they just think that, the controversy creates cash or, or what? Because what do they gain from these witch hunts at their best players? They've already tried to taint the reputation for some kind of weird power play to taint the reputation of the best player they've had in the 21st century in Tom Brady. And now they tried to do it maybe with Peyton Manning. Now they're trying to do it with two of the top players on the the Yankees of the NFL in the Green Bay Packers, and they're trying to do it to a, one of the best players with one of the most memorable plays in Super Bowl history, a potential Hall of Famer in Pittsburgh. Like, what are they? Why are they doing this out in public like that? I don't get what they think the benefit is. Yeah, I'm not sure either. You used a good word, the power play. It sure seems like that's what it is, and them just you know because of some of the things they've gone through, just showing their stranglehold on this and showing that Goodell holds all the power. It's just like some dictator, like, that's yeah, power-hungry. Exactly. And it, it, it doesn't really seem to have any other purpose to it. Um, you know, again, I'm not sure if they intend all these to be so public, but they have to know they're going to be. Yeah. It, you know, they they just probably privately ask these guys to interview, and they're all like, heck no, I'm not doing that. And then they, you know, they tweet about it, and they have no reason to, <laughs> to need to meet, I feel like, because they seem like such outrageous like why would the nfl take any stock into this thing at this point well yeah I, um 
I, I don't know. It doesn't seem to serve much of a purpose, does it? No, I think it, it probably is a power play thing, but, you know, Goodell can sit there and be like, now I've proven that the star quarterback of the last 21 year or the, of the 21st century is a cheater, and potentially the other star quarterback is also a cheater, and the best player in the Super Bowl between the ones that those guys were in in 2008, who had a 100-yard interception return, is a cheater. And the guy who made the biggest play on defense in Super Bowl 45 is a cheater. And the team that beat Peyton Manning in 2009 has a bunch of bounty cheaters. And, uh, you know, but I, at least the whole league knows everybody in the NFL is tainted and either cheating or lying or stealing. But at least they know who's in charge. Yeah, everybody knows how cool Roger Goodell is, though, so that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm not saying you should investigate these guys, but there has to be a way, because there's no one doing it. They could come out and announce two minutes after they talked to Clay Matthews that these are completely unfounded allegations. His explanations were perfect. We have no suspicion whatsoever that Clay Matthews is on any sort of performance-enhancing drug, and he's never failed one of the tests we've given him. And for a section of the populace, forever will think he's a cheater, even with that type of... And that's not going to happen. They're not going to come out that strongly that we were that wrong. But no matter what happens, people are going to think Clay Matthews is a cheater now because of the way they've done this. Yeah, you're right. So... I don't, I don't quite understand it. But I think it probably won't um, take any games away. But um, they might be more equipped now than they have been in recent years if that were to be the case. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I don't have a ton more about these games. They're already fa- uh, fading from memory for me. Um, I don't know. I, I Have you watched many other of the – I know we were talking about a little bit of how boring I found the preseason to be and you're – you're okay with it, but um, are there any other teams that you've seen that have uh, stuck out to you at all? Oh man, um, I, I, I just seem to find myself just watching, like constantly watching bits and pieces of these games. I guess I haven't really seen anybody that I'm like, oh man. I tried to watch a little bit of that Nick Foles uh, back against St. Louis game last night. Oh but yeah, I was it was at a bar, so it was kind of hard to focus on it too much. I didn't see really what he did. I was kind of intrigued by that a little bit too, just to kind of see what happened there, but. And I, I guess not so much. Dak Prescott, what about him? He's playing yes, really well. Yeah, he's been really good ahead, hasn't he? Yeah, I wonder if, uh, how many more years do you think Tony Romo's got left? Yeah, you can't think more than a couple. I, I don't know, I can't even remember how old he is. He's got to be mid-30s, right? I would think he's probably 36 at least. Yeah. That, that would be my guess. I tried to Google him and Tony Robbins came up, so I don't think that's right. Um, he, yeah, that's that's an interesting situation though because he's a guy that you know like so many of those guys that come out of those kind of offenses is like maybe this guy could be good he's got some accuracy but he just didn't play an NFL style offense at all and they always take have such a big learning curve so for him to even though it's just preseason against backups to look as good as he has has been kind of impressive he, I mean he could be pretty good someday maybe yeah and for me I'm a little guarded on those guys after RG3 was so darn good his rookie year and then has yep. been atrocious since then. Kaepernick. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Kaepernick's a good one. Apparently he's got like a, a dead arm, everybody keeps saying. Like, yeah. Is that what like Stave had a couple years ago where he just can't throw anymore? What's going on? I think I think Stave's was more mental. I think Kaepernick's is actually injury-related. I think there's something going on with the tendon and he just has no power behind his throws. Okay. Yeah, the Stave one. <laughs> I just imagine him in practice, like, "Hey, Joel, you think you can throw it to that receiver?" I don't believe. No, no I can't do it. 
I don't mean to make fun of what people go through that kind of stuff because I know it can be devastating, but they never really explained it very well for us to find out, and then one day he was just back and fine. So it was weird. So this is a very rambly, preseason-y-esque podcast that uh, we're hoping records with this uh, new software that we're attempting to use. But um, Matt, I had to ask, just since the Olympics are winding down today and uh, it happens only once every four years, it's only the second Olympics in the history of Green and Gold Forever. Um, I know we watched some because we had a family weekend last weekend, but um, have you been paying attention at all? Yeah, a little bit. I definitely watched most of the swimming, and I've, I've watched some of the running as well. I guess I've, more than in years past, I've kind of skipped on a lot of the other smaller sports. I've watched a little basketball here and there, but yeah, not as much in the wrestling or the trampoline jumping, I guess, this time <laughs> around. I I always watch the, the swimming and the track and field just because those are the ones on NBC, and they're pretty easy to understand. This is the, this person wins, this person is in second, this person's in third. They're very short, which is nice. You know, the whole competition is one segment. Um, yeah. I always laugh a little bit at the track and field events because you, you can just see the primitive roots of them all. Like, hey, I bet you I can run to this tree faster than you. Yeah, but I can jump over these logs on the way to the tree better than you can. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, well, I can throw this rock really far. Well, I can throw this stick really far. You know, it's just kind of silly. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's I fun. guess that's what makes those ones so good, though, is yeah. like everybody can kind of relate at some point, whereas like some of these are like these like the ribbon whirling <laughs> gymnastic things. Like they're so randomly made up. It seems like, as opposed to the ones that you're talking about, it's like how did this ever become an Olympic sport, or somebody decided that they wanted to do this? It seems so strange. That's a good point. I mean. I might not know anything about the shot put, but I can appreciate somebody throwing something really heavy really far. I mean, that's just a primitive thing that is easy to understand. But, yeah, the big one for me was I didn't realize that there was diving off of different apparatuses. So there's the diving off the diving board early in the competition, and then the last few weeks they've been diving off this platform that doesn't have any spring to it. It's like, why did there need to be... That two separate events. Hmm. Yeah, I guess I never really realized that either. The one's called. They should do them where they jump off of like random stuff, like the dunk competition. <laughs> like somebody has to like haul something up there and like jump off a car or like jump off of something fun. <laughs> They're jumping off the scissors lift. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so really quick crossfire. What is the? Um, we we already talked kind of about the best, but what is the best and the worst of the Olympic sports to watch? Oh, just straight summer. I guess my my favorite are the um, I I guess like the the two hundred meter like all the stuff that Phelps does. I think that I really like it because we've been watching him do that for like three four Olympics now really well. Yeah, I think I think that's my favorite. But also, you know, since I was a kid, it's the you know the the short burst running ones that have always been really exciting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's always more fun when an American's good at it. So I guess that since Usain Bolt has dominated that, I've, I've kind of drifted more towards the swimming the last few times around. Sure. Yeah, so my I'll, I'll say my best quick. Uh, it's definitely the swimming stuff, and I think it's just because it looks cool. Just somebody moving through water just yeah. <laughs> looks cool. But it's also very quick. It's easy to understand. I don't have to, you know, be... I don't have to read anything or listen to anything or have the rules on the, the screen to understand how to win at a swimming competition. I think the... Uh, the running is good, but like you said, the if there's not an American in it, it's kind of weird. Um, 
not that I don't appreciate all the other countries and whatever, but it's just the NBC, the announcers, like if an American is going to win, they're like, oh my God, going crazy. And then like on the other one, it's like, well, and here comes this guy from Serbia who broke the world record. So after this, let's see if the U.S. women can be third place in fencing. Like it's just um, the worst stuff to watch is I think anything that has judges that you aren't used to watching. Yes, yeah, that's terrible. I don't know the difference between any of that. Any of the endurance events, so like the 20-mile bike racing or the decathlon or any of that kind of stuff where you don't really have any scope for who's winning or who's losing, all of that stuff I find terrible. And um, really any of the combat sports, like the Taekwondo I was watching the other day, they're so padded up. I'm like, I feel like I could do this if there's no risk of getting hurt. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, I was watching, like, I watched some of the pommel, or not the pommel horse, it was the balance beam, and then also some of the, of the ribbon twirling gymnastics. My wife was watching that yesterday morning, and it's like, oh, there was a bunch of mistakes on that routine, but it looked just as good as the one before, and <laughs> they, like, all look the same. It just, it seems like the person that they expect to come in to win is always going to win gold, it, just because that's how the judges judge it. I just, I can't watch that stuff. Yeah, that's a good point. That's why I don't really like the Winter Olympics at all. There's too many judge sports. Like, you're always doing a routine or, or something. And everything's on ice or snow, and I don't need to see ice and snow. And when the Olymp- Winter Olympics are happening, I am surrounded by ice and snow. I want to see something else. All right, so I'm, I'm kind of glad the Olympics are done. Um, it w- I probably watched them more than I did in 2012, but, uh, you know, I'm, re- I'm ready for it to be over. No more rib- ribbon twirling on TV for me. Yeah. All right, so the Packers' next game will be at the San Francisco 49ers. It starts at 10 p.m. Central Time. I think it's a Friday night, so at least you could stay up if you wanted to, but that's going to be rough to get through, I would think. Yeah, that's too much for for this old guy. I think I'll be recording and watching it the next day. Yeah, I I probably will too. uh, I think Aaron Rodgers is planning to play, although during the Cleveland game he was being interviewed and he said that he was planning to play in Oakland, so it must not be as much of his call as he would like it to be, I'm guessing. Yeah, and I do see now, just as an update on that, it starts at 9 p.m. Central Time, so that's a little more cushion. Okay, so that, gosh, that'll be over by midnight. I can handle that, maybe. Um, Yeah, that's... I don't know. I I think they have that every once in a while where I remember one preseason, maybe 2008, where it felt like they had two or three of those West Coast preseason games, and it was really not that fun to get through. Yeah, they've got a lot of Friday games this week, and you would think for if they're going to start a game that late, it'd be nice if it was on like a Saturday or something so they could just do it earlier. Like if you know you're going to be on the West Coast, like it probably helps for TV ratings, though, because they've got a bunch at 7, and they could pop one on there at 9 at night and somebody will watch it. Yeah, did did you see that they have four preseason red zone days? Um, so they had two already, and then they're going to have one in each of the next two preseason weeks, and that has been kind of bizarrely fun to watch. It, yeah, it kind of cuts through all the boringness of the preseason. You actually get to see some, you know, some touchdowns and big plays, whereas if you sit down and watch a whole game through, you're not going to see a whole lot of big-time action. Well, and like you mentioned, they'll go out of their way to find guys like that we knew from college, so... Um, they had one on the other night when the Packers were playing, and so I saw like a bunch of Terrell Pryor's catches against the um, Falcons. And uh, I don't know, they they might have found a gem in Terrell Pryor at wide receiver for Cleveland. 
Yeah, it seems that way. It, it, a team that we, you know, I think I picked to have two wins this year, kind of looking like they might actually have a little bit of talent on the roster when we thought they had almost none. They're going to break through that three-win glass ceiling, I think. They might. They could do it. I, well, I, well, we'll have to see. So, yeah, I uh, I don't really have anything else. I'm just hoping that this stupid thing records. I keep hearing legs, and I'm sure you guys can power through it, but uh, sorry about this one. This wasn't our, our best effort through little, uh, oh, well, it's some of our fault, but mostly the circumstances surrounding our horrible technology right now. So, we'll get through it. We'll have uh, another couple shows before the start of the regular season and uh hopefully we can get some contributions from uh, some of the listeners maybe we'll do another crossfire or something in the near future but matt i ain't got nothing else to say what about you nope nope i'm good <laughs> all right sounds good thank you everyone so much for listening uh, you can interact with us on the facebook page uh, facebook.com slash green and gold forever podcast you can always listen to our full archives green gold forever.podbean.com that's the number four uh at green gold forever on uh, Twitter, so you can tweet at me, which many of you do. So um, thank you so much, everybody, for uh, listening to us today and uh, hearing us ramble about two different games and some other random assorted stuff. So until our next show, uh, enjoy the rest of the preseason and take care, everyone.